pray today and get started. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this chance to uh, read from your word and reflect on your word today. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will, will guide us as we consider this idea of, of wisdom and knowing and how it relates to the ways in which you communicate with us. Help us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start something today that we're going to do for a few weeks here, and, and May is always kind of an interesting month. There's a lot that goes on in the month of May, and people are often here a week and not here another week, so I don't want to do anything that's, that's too much of a building every week, and if you missed one, you're lost the rest of the way, so we're not going to do that. But, but we are going to have a bit of a, of a steady theme here, for a little bit anyway, that is in the context of our previous discussion about worship, but also keys very directly on one very important point that, that is repeatedly challenged in our day. And it gets challenged in lots of different ways. But this core concept that we're going to be, be, be focusing around for a couple of weeks here is this reality of the unrelenting and consistent testimony of the Bible that God is the creator. You go anywhere in the Bible, from the very first chapter to the end, and the consistent message of the Bible is that God is the creator. Now, we can waste a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of time arguing about the exact realities of how all of these things took place. I'm not as interested in that. But what I do want us to understand is we've been conditioned in our age to have a kind of suspended notion of God as creator, but not a reality in that we don't necessarily connect this with what we experience. So as we go along, we'll, we'll develop that thought a little bit, but I want to start where we spent some time just a few weeks back, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we find these words. This is at the end of that throne room scene where they are worshiping the one on the throne. And it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So at the throne of God, the basis for worship is centered in this reality the receiving of glory and honor and power is because you created all things. So hold that in your mind. And let's go to Psalm chapter 19. Now I'm using the English Standard Version and there's a, a copy of that in front of you if you want to follow along. We'll, we'll do a few different texts today so I'll try to pause long enough for you to find each one. Psalm chapter 19 Beginning in verse 1. These will be familiar words to you. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Day-to-day pours out speech, and night-to-night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heaven, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So what is this saying? What the psalmist is telling us here is every time you walk outside and you see the heavens, they are speaking to you. Can you hear the voice? You see, he says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. When you go out at night and look up at the stars, do you realize that they are revealing knowledge? Not your knowledge, the knowledge of one who came before you. The knowledge of the one who created this whole thing. It says, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The problem is, we've been trained to not hear it. We've been default trained by our day and by our time to not hear it. Why is that? What do you see in the morning when the sun comes up? So every morning I I have a routine and uh, I I get up and I go out to the kitchen table and depending on if Alicia was up before me or not, I have to feed the cats first or I will get nothing else done until I do that. But we take care of that and then uh, if you've ever been in the parsonage there, you know the the little kitchen area, there's there's three little windows there, well they're big windows really, and uh, The two of them are smaller than the middle one, and there's blinds on them, and I go to the blind on the far end, and I lift it all the way up. And if it's winter, then looking through that window from where I'm sitting at the end of the table, getting ready to do my Bible reading, I can watch as the sun comes up. Because when it's winter, the sun is all the way over there in that window, and it comes up, and I can watch it as I'm reading. Now, later in the year, like now, the sun usually gets up a little earlier than me, so I have a harder time seeing it when it first comes up. But now, if I go to the kitchen sink and raise the blind at the kitchen sink, now, then the sun comes in my eyes there, because the sun's not over here anymore. You ever notice that about the sun? I mean, we know it kind of, but we don't live in that world, do we? I I tell what time it is by my clock, not by the sun. But the sun doesn't come up in the same place every day. It, It moves. Why does it do that? It's because of how the world is set up. It's because of the seasons. The reason it's getting warmer is it's sunny longer now. You see, there's knowledge here. There's wisdom. If we take time to look, and listen and allow the voices of what is to speak to us, 
we will see a wisdom here. But the problem is, we've been trained that, oh, well, no, we know how to explain that. That's just the way the earth is tilted and it goes around the sun. And yeah, that's going to happen. Well, just because we know why, does that mean it still isn't revealing of the glory of God? Does it not rather, in fact, reveal to us an intelligence in the one that created it that we should be seeing whenever we look at these things? Is it the glory of God or is it the inevitable outworking of a scientific process? Are these things mutually exclusive? Can we see God as the creator of the process? So yesterday, no, Thursday. Thursday as we were on the last leg of driving home. We've been on vacation. We had a glorious, a glorious time away. I'll say more about that in a minute. But as we were on our way home on Thursday, we had a little time and we were coming down from the north. So we stopped in Loveland and we visited with my mom and dad and, and uh, Alicia got some work done. And then, then we, we left there for just a little while because we were going to see Ariel, but we, didn't, we had to wait a little while. She was in class. And we drove to the Narrows on the Big Thompson River. If you've ever been there up near Loveland, it's very dramatic. The road drives up and the cliffs are almost just straight on each side. And you drive up there and there's a, there's a, a little park up there. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a little park up there on the right-hand side. And, and we went and we stopped and we parked our car and we're walking around. And in the process of walking around, we encountered a woman who was walking, and uh, she was one of those talky people. You know, you run into them every now and then. We introverts fear them greatly, more than, more than wolves. But uh, she wanted to talk. But I was safe because Alicia was there. So I could just kind of look off and didn't have to... And they started to talk, and then I began to be fearful that that's what we were going to do for the next hour. Um, but they talked for a little while, and she was saying, oh, if you go sit on that rock over here, you're going to have this amazing experience. And they were having this, this whole mystical outdoorsy thing and, and connecting and everything like that. And at the end, Alicia did something that sometimes, I don't know, am I afraid to do? What is the term? She said, to this stranger, yeah, being in a place like this just makes me feel closer to God. We're not supposed to talk like that, right? Do you see, do you see what's happened to us? And, and I'm always subject to this stuff. She, Alicia is kind of immune to this. She is who she is. But I'm... I'm subject to the norms of the society in which I live. I'm allowed to say it's great, but I'm pushing it to say, and it makes me want to praise the Lord. But Alicia just went there. Now, I'm not sure how she handled it. I think it startled her a little. She didn't exactly immediately follow in and say, yes, me too, but... How often have we let our eyes be blinded 
to the reality. Because I could stand there and say, yes, this is an amazing place. But was it really telling me what it needed to tell me? That this is, in fact, the revelation of the handiwork of a God of wisdom. I was reminded of another text, this time in Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And it starts with this very issue that took place in that moment in the, and that momentary discomfort in my own heart. And it raises the question in me, is, can I say this? Is this true about me? Romans 1, verse 16, John, uh, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he's writing to them and he's saying, saying the, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is not a story I'm ashamed to tell. And, and in that context, the attributing to God, the praise worthy of his name, is not something I'm afraid to do, regardless of where I am. And I have to tell you, this is aspirational for me sometimes. I'm very comfortable sharing from here. But if you put me on the front porch to all the people walking by who have nothing to do with church, would I be so bold? I don't like what that question says about me. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's what I think he's saying here. What he's saying, I, I think, is as you believe, you will come to understand better. And as you understand better, you will grow in your belief. It's supposed to be a process that builds on itself. As you believe, as you put your faith in the story that, that God through Jesus Christ has redeemed us, as you put your faith in the assertion of Scripture that God is the creator, then knowledge will come as a result of these faith commitments. And as that knowledge comes, it will feed back to your faith, and your faith will grow, and your knowledge will grow, and your faith will grow, and your knowledge will grow. But here's the thing, the last line, the righteous shall live by faith. This is what we need to always remember. It is our faith that informs our knowing. You see, we don't have knowing outside of faith. Well, we may, but we need to not. Because the righteous shall live by faith. It is our faith that informs our knowing. So when you hear things, they must always be filtered through the convictions of your heart that God has put there through the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. You want to know about God. You want to know about his invisible qualities. You want to know, namely, about his eternal power and his divine nature. Go out and take a walk. Because Paul is saying those things are revealed in what he has made. Look at a child. Look at a tree. Look at the mountain. Look at the sea. You want to know about God? Look at the stars at night. Watch the sun rise each day with its strength and power. Observe the clouds as they, as they float across the sky. You want to know about God? Well, apparently, according to Paul, these things are clear. If you go and look at what he's made, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, in the days of Paul and, and in the days prior to that, that was, that was more of a literal reality where, where people had begun to worship the things created as opposed to the creator. So they, they made idols and they made these different things and they, they bowed themselves down to, they bowed down to the sun and they bowed down to the starry host. And they did these different things. I, I give them credit for the fact that they were looking. But according to Paul, they got off track. And they began to worship the things. But it's a little different in our day. Because in our day, we're not as likely to, to worship the sun or these other things in the way they did back then. But I think our problem is we worship the knowledge. We've come to believe that what's important about the sun is is understanding the angle at which it comes up and what's the date of solstice and all of these different things. It's the knowledge. And we're proud of ourselves for knowing the knowledge. But that knowledge is not taking us to the Creator like it should. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, so here's what we've fallen into. And there's been some really good that came out of it, but there's, there's problems here. We've fallen into an age of sensory knowledge. And very much the scientific method is tied to this concept of sensory knowledge. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, is based on the five senses. Vision, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. How do I understand the world? 
I understand the world through what I can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. And if I can't see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, or touch it, it doesn't exist. You see, that's where we are. Now, what's the good side of that? Well, we've moved away from the notion that, that uh, things like pandemics are, are just these plagues that sweep across and there's nothing that anyone can do about it and we've learned that you actually can do things about that. That's good. That's one of the good things that's come out of this. We've learned how to build airplanes that can fly through the air because we came to understand how it works. That's good. But in this reality where, where the only thing we can know are the things we can know by these five senses, we have created a mentality that essentially makes the existence of God impossible because we can't know him in that same way. You see, it's the difference between sense-centered reality which we definitely need to have. But if that's all we have, we're missing out on something else that I'm going to call faith-centered reality. Now, if you're squarely in this camp, you look at the faith-centered reality and you say, oh yeah, folly, because you can't prove it. But is that really true? Or is that just the trap we're in in the day we're in? Every era has its own traps. And the trap of our day is nothing that I can't see, taste, touch, smell, or feel. If I can't do those things, it doesn't exist. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a theoretical physicist, you already know that's not true. Because there's tons of stuff that theoretical physicists have proven that you can't see, you can't taste, you can't touch, you can't smell, you can't feel. So don't fall for the trap. You always suspected there was more to reality, and you were right. There are things that escape that limited, really, reality. And the problem with the sense-centered reality is it actually is incapable of proving whether there is a God or not because it rules him out before it starts. So nobody's proven there's no God. They've just proven the tools they use are incapable of containing him. And so in this context, I take you back to the words that Jackie read to us. She read from verse 1 and read the context of what Proverbs are and what they do. But I want to take you back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And it's a most startling statement. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, let, let me break that down to what I believe it's saying here. When it says fear of the Lord, I believe what this is saying is belief in and respect for. So let's use that as our working definition of, of fear of the Lord for this particular point. So, so belief in the Lord and respect for the Lord. 
So when you have belief in the Lord and respect, according to this proverb, you are standing at the beginning of knowledge. That's kind of crazy to think about, right? Because how much of the world rejects that idea? What it suggests is the, the learning that can be achieved can only reach a certain point until one enters into this reality of the fear of the Lord, the belief in and the respect for the Lord. And then a whole new reality opens up. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Go over to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Here's what I hear in this. God is the initiator of all the laws and all the processes that it's our privilege to go out into the world and discover. He's initiated these things. He's given it to us. He said, learn about it. Come to understand it. Learn to use it profitably for yourself, for your family, for one another. Take this good earth that I have made and use it to do good. Learn about it. I created all of these things. same chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. These are words that the Lord frequently puts in my mind, and I want to put them in your mind as well. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, it doesn't say do not seek understanding. It doesn't say do not have understanding. It says don't lean on your understanding. Trust in the Lord. Continue to seek. Continue to learn. Continue to grow. But above all, trust in the Lord. Verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Alicia does this great. That's what she did out there at the Narrows. In all her ways, she's walking along. She acknowledged him. Now, I guess we don't always have to do it verbally, but... But how often do we not even do it on the inside? In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now here's another one that the Lord uses on me, because I have to be told this. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. I am very lovingly called a know-it-all by my family. And they're not lying. I know lots of stuff. But sometimes I get a little wise in my own eyes. And the humbling experience that goes with that is never fun. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Are you living in a sensory-based reality 
or are you living in a faith-based reality? Now, I'm not saying they have to be in conflict, but I am saying, according to Scripture, faith-based reality is where we start, and from there we engage the senses. This is what it means for Jesus to be central. And everything we do comes through that reality. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is to me my life. And it is from that perspective that I engage every piece of data that comes into my life. I don't put the gospel over here and then in the wisdom of my own mind judge it. No, I put it in the center and it judges me. It teaches me. And when it's there, then I go back to Psalm 19 and I walk outside and I realize, yes, it's true. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So I'm going to ask Eliah to come back up here and, uh, and get ready. I have some pictures for you. So uh, I, I got 10 pictures that Alicia took while we were on our trip. So if you can get those ready to put on the screen there, I think you have them there. All right, these are 10 pictures of the sky. I'll tell you when to change, so you're good. 10 pictures of the sky that we saw on one simple little trip. Okay, here's the, is that the second one? Okay, here's the second one. Okay, a little different. Now let's do the third. Oh, that's kind of neat, isn't it? How about the fourth? Ah, totally different feel. Do right, you see the different messages you can get from the sky? Let's go again. Okay, got some rain going on there. What else? What's next? Ooh, towards the evening. Keep going. Nice, smooth. Yeah, one more. Oh, that's an interesting place. I wonder what I could learn about that. Keep going. The sky is big there. All right, is there, is there one more? Yeah, there it is. Do you just see pictures here? What do your eyes see? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Is this core for you? This has got to be core. Every time you walk out and look up at the sky, God will affirm this if you have the eyes to see.